Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So just a disclaimer, the information in this podcast represents a moment in time. Um, with issues like this, things change really quickly. And so this was recorded on February 4th, so things may have changed. If you really want to understand what it's like to live through this epidemic here in China, there's this meme that's going around. Someone has taken a picture of uh, their living room ceiling and it says like, my living room light has one main light, two peripheral lights, and four strips of LED. What about you? And I stared at that for a minute like, what is that? And slowly I got the context of... Millions of people are just laying at home, staring at their ceilings for lack of anything better to do. So the novel coronavirus hit right at the start of Chinese New Year. Chinese New Year is the only time of year where everyone basically gets time off. It's a time where people can come home to their family, see their friends, and just kind of relax. But this epidemic hit, and that kind of disrupted everything. In light of the ubiquitous anxieties about the epidemic... The government has extended our Chinese New Year and advised us to stay quarantined within our homes as much as possible. We're very isolated. Like, sure, we can go on social media, but social media is kind of a dumpster fire of rumors and panic. This meme really gets at the idea that we're all sort of siloed, alone, and very bored. Personally, it's given me a lot of time to reflect on what China means to me. This podcast is about the novel coronavirus and the unglamorous boredom and terror of living through it. Chapter 8. The Plague. So as I've had time to think, the first sort of questions that began to pop into my mind are, why am I still here? Why am I staying in China? Here's a clip of me and my girlfriend, Elizabeth, talking about the virus. When all the outbreaks started happening and whatever, and you would tell me, you'd give me your like reports in the morning. Tell me yeah. like my reaction. What was my reaction? You were like this. Elizabeth, I can't listen to this right now. Not right now. Please stop. I can't. I just can't do it right now. What's your interpretation of that? I mean, you obviously had anxiety and I don't know, you like worry about stuff. So it's pretty normal. It wasn't totally normal. I was freaking out. I didn't want to think about this. And I hoped it wasn't really a big deal. You see, back in 2014, there was these three cases in Gansu of plague. Yeah, I mean, like that plague. And it was kind of terrible, but the people got treatment, and it just kind of came and went. That's what I assumed that this novel coronavirus was. 
In China, there's always kind of this specter of disease lurking, and you just kind of don't think about it. So to give you a little perspective about me, I'm really afraid of disease. My childhood was plagued with all sorts of sicknesses. I have like a very terrible immune system. And so when I heard about this virus, I just was scared and sort of in denial. All right, what's the update for today? Well, there's several. So I just read that the schools that were supposed to open on the 17th are supposed to stay closed until the end of February. You see, from the first reports, my girlfriend Elizabeth was really worried about the disease. And every day I would wake up and I would come out into the living room and she would give me these very stone-faced reports, these fearful reports of what was going on with the virus in that day. So that they can free up money for the CDC. Old How many Chuck, people have Old died? Chuck Schumer, 2,500 confirmed cases and 80 dead. I asked her specifically to give me this report on the 27th, but usually she would just spring it on me, and I really, really didn't want to hear it. That's how I came to learn about the virus. Everyone kind of has their own story of when they came to know about the virus. My name is Lily. I live and work in Shanghai, but my hometown is in Suzhou. I first realized the new virus when I was traveling on January the 14th. A friend forwarded me a piece of news about the diagnosis of a Chinese coronavirus patient in Thailand. I was a little scared, so I bought two packets of face masks there. Back to Shanghai on the 18th, I didn't see many people wearing masks. I just started to wear it because of health concerns. Hello, my name is Peng, P-E-N-G, and I'm originally from Fujian province. Now I live in Shanghai. The first time I've heard about this um, coronavirus was, I guess, before this, a, a couple of days before the spring festival. And um, people started wearing masks and I thought maybe this is becoming serious. And I saw the update of um, confirmed patients and the number of people dying from this disease escalating. So I thought, you know, maybe we're in trouble. Over this Chinese New Year, I didn't want to think about anything. I just really wanted to relax, to take a break. But all of a sudden, this disease was just upon us and we had to pay attention. That's when I decided I needed to figure out what the coronavirus was. Now, if you're panicked about something and you want to reaffirm your sense of panic about a particular issue, you can turn to Twitter. Now, look, there are a lot of people on Twitter that are thinking about the coronavirus very thoughtfully and have a very tempered outlook on the whole situation. But for me, my lizard brain only took to the most ridiculous and just fucking terrifying things that were on Twitter. In the first category, stuff that was ridiculous, there's a viral video of an elderly gentleman wearing a menstrual pad on his face. And it's kind of funny, but in the video he explains that, you know, they had run out of masks at the store, so he just used a menstrual pad instead. There's also just this ridiculous video of people in an office 
that has been completely covered in plastic sheeting to cordon everybody off from one another so that they could continue working even in the specter of this horrible virus. In the second category, things that were just terrifying, there's the famous video of just that one hallway in a Wuhan hospital that looks so insanely crowded. There are also just these videos where you see elderly people out on the streets just keeling over from being so sick, presumably from having the coronavirus. Then, of course, there's the video that's gone like super viral of a woman sort of panning her camera around a hospital hallway, and there are just dead bodies with sheets covering them laying on the ground in a, in a hospital that's just been so overrun and overburdened with patients coming in. I think experiencing the virus in this way is the way that I think a lot of people experience it. When you don't pay that close of attention, all you get is the ridiculous stuff and the terrifying stuff. So it's easy just to be panicked about it. After I had sort of this cathartic freak out on Twitter, I actually really wanted to come to understand the virus. So I did some research and I sort of pieced together a timeline of how things really happened. Just to note, this timeline was based on when things were officially announced. Some of this information may change in the future. I'm just giving this to give you a context as to what's happening and how it's played out for people here living in China. Some things have also been omitted for brevity. So here's the deal. In December 2019, there were cases reported from Wuhan of a pneumonia-like disease contracted from the Huanan Seafood Wholesale Market in Wuhan, which is in Hubei province. They sell a lot of exotic animals, and it's speculated that the virus may have come from snakes sold at this market. Cases were brought to the Jinyin Tan Hospital in Wuhan late in December and in early January. 41 cases were confirmed as the novel coronavirus. Two-thirds of these cases had some direct contact with the Huanan market. On January 20th, Xi Jinping makes his first public response. He urged transparency as well as the timely release of public information. But on the other hand, he also reportedly instructed authorities to, quote, strengthen the guidance of public opinion, which was seen by critics as a call to continue to censor the media in regards to the outbreak. Also on January 20th, cases were confirmed outside of Wuhan in Beijing and Shenzhen. By January 23rd, quarantine of travel in and out of Wuhan was imposed. And by the 24th, this was extended to 15 different cities in Hubei province. And apparently it was reported that before the quarantine had set in, 5 million people living in Wuhan had left the city. So January 24th is Chinese New Year's Eve. This was the day that my friend Evie actually got out of Hubei. She's not from Wuhan, but she's from another city that was going to be closed down. I changed my flight before the last city in Hubei got closed. My father drove me to the airport in an, another province called Henan 
Yeah, on the way to Henan, I did maybe three times temperature checking. Like everywhere I go, people wear masks. And the next morning, all Hubei province got closed off. And the next day, um, Henan, where I fly from, also got clo- closed. On January 25th, it had been confirmed that the disease had spread to many countries around Asia. It had also spread to the U.S. and France. This is the same day that Li Keqiang and his group decided to extend the Chinese New Year. On January 27th, a lot happens. Authorities announced that training schools should close their operations. Spring semesters will be postponed. By February 1st, chartered planes from various countries had evacuated diplomats and their citizens from Wuhan. So let me give you a little bit more historical context for this disease, because a lot of the way that people are thinking about this virus is in relation to how they experienced the SARS virus. Um, back in 2003, when the SARS epidemic broke out, I was quarantined with my classmates in a military training center for our safety. We were in front of TV every evening to follow the news. Back in 2002, SARS broke out in November in Guangdong province. Although medical personnel were told about the outbreak by January 2003, the people and the media had no real awareness of the disease. It wasn't until February that there was any news about the disease at all. And even then, there was another total news blackout about the disease leading up to the People's Congress in March. Evidence suggests that the province of Guangdong had considered not publicizing the disease in fears of the economic repercussions. This was all clearly a terrible response to a very frightening disease. And so by comparison, the response to the novel coronavirus outbreak has seemed much, much better. There's a new honesty that's come in the wake of this outbreak, and many people are feeling heartened by that. Here's Maggie. Just yesterday, I think, the mayor of Wuhan held a press release during which he kind of let out, let out the info that 5 million people departed from there before the lockdown of the city, which wasn't really helping in calming down the public. But I think at this critical period of time, being honest is a really good thing. And, and it's very helpful for making practical estimate of the real situation as well. Here's Jesse. Hospitals like quarantine centers are being built and hotels across the country have been assigned to accommodate or quarantine the Wuhan tourists who just can't go back to their home since the city is already blocked. There has been like complete lockdown for several cities of course, including uh, Wuhan. And troops of doctors and nurses are going to the heart of the epidemic-stricken area to fight this battle. I've also like read public spaces that will likely to gather a crowd, such as the Forbidden City, Disneyland, and etc., are closed temporarily. 20-some years I've lived, I've never heard of this level of, you know, public urgency state. So I think this is very responsible behavior of the Chinese government. 
For the people I've talked to, this response to the coronavirus has been much, much better. Experts at the WHO and the CDC also agree that the Chinese government has done a good job to keep people up to date and informed about the cases. So some may be heartened by the government's response, but the government isn't actually the whole part of the picture here. It's not just the government. The people are taking this virus much more seriously. People are more sensitive and more on guard about this virus than they were during the SARS outbreak. People have learned from that experience. This is Kuang. Actually, SARS was like a vaccination in a way. This time, facing the pneumonia, it's clear that everybody at least has a good awareness of preventative measures, like wearing face masks, washing your hands. Everybody is really doing it uniformly. And then everybody really responded well to the recommendation not to go out, not to go visiting during the new year. Most people in China are very, very supportive. So most of them just do whatever they can. Like when the specialists tell us that we should just stay at home to, you know, block ourselves from the virus. I mean, I guess 90% of the people prefer to stay at home. So some are actually criticizing the government's response, that they were slow on the response to this, or they had covered things up. And we'll talk about that in a second. In response to this, some people took it upon themselves to prepare for this virus and to prepare their community for the virus. This is Damir, he lives down in Xiamen and his company jumped into preparation for the virus to hit even before it was announced officially. Uh, some of the rumors about Corona started in the beginning of January and then HR immediately jumped on that and started giving people masks and hand sterilizers uh, making sure that we know what's going on uh, and that we wear them before taking, let's say, the subway. Also, just as importantly, social media has really been shaping this narrative. It's given people a platform to report about the disease and be more aware. A huge part of the difference is information. I think now information is being, being spread a lot faster and that causes a lot of precaution, but also uh, maybe unnecessary fear. So as I said before, there's actually a lot of skepticism about the government's response here. And this time for this coronavirus, um, it's similar to the SARS coronavirus of 2003 in that uh, there, the government's first reaction was to suppress information about it. But this time, for sure, it's to a much smaller extent than it was in 2003. I think in 2003, um, the first cases came out in November, and then the WHO didn't even know about it until February. This time, the WHO was notified on December 31st that something was going on. But at the same time, there has been an active suppression of information that's not coming through official channels, which is troubling. So on the 21st of January, the Central Political and Legal Affairs Commission, the CCP's most powerful policing organ, released this forceful statement in which they condemn anybody who is to withhold information about the plague. And they claim that anybody who misinformed the public would be, quote, nailed on a pillar of shame for eternity. And I think that has really set the tone for the government's action on this. The government has used its considerable control over the media to squash and quell disinformation. The Human Rights Watch has even admitted that there has been a lot of disinformation spread on social media by users in China. But the censors have also taken down posts of people who have family members who have 
contracted the virus. Censorship people are back to work, and they are taking down posts asking for help. They have been practicing, you know, very good surveillance and censorship, taking down all the posts. That gives rumor a new definition. It's not about what you said. It's not valid. It's probably valid, scientifically valid. It's just not something the government wants you to say because it's not for you to publicly publicize、uh, that information. This has led to a lot of criticism online by clever folks who use coded language, referring to Xi Jinping as Trump and to the outbreak as Chernobyl. The most egregious case of possible censoring or government mismanagement is this idea that the government may have covered up the early days of the virus in the first place. So this is Shunyao, our researcher, and her background is in medicine. As someone who's been scrutinizing this case closely, she has a lot of criticism about the way the government has handled the coronavirus so far. A physician in working radiology found a patient developing a pneumonia,、um, very. Very quickly, which is very similar to the symptoms of SARS, they have confirmed that they found、uh, a new coronavirus from this particular sample and some other samples. By the end of December, they are pretty sure that they're dealing with a very、uh, new coronavirus that has the capacity to transmit from. Person to person, I think、um, the government knows very well、um, this is going to be a potential、um, hazard for the public health, and they also kind of、um, try to calming the you know the public reaction to this, saying, "Oh, it's、um, it's well under control." So this is end of December. The earliest cases of the virus were found in late December, but in a study published in the Lancet on January twenty fourth. It was discovered that cases could have possibly dated back to November 2019. There was no real government response at all until January 20th, 2020. In the media, there was very little reporting on the virus until mid-January, and many reports downplayed the severity of the disease. You don't see anything happening on public media. I still remember they play with the words a lot. They say in one of those like public reports saying this disease has、uh, no confirmed human to human transmission. That was false, and then one of them said, "I remember this very clearly." The one of them said, "The virus has limited human to human transmission." Oh,、well, this is really crafty wordsmithing. In there, in this particular report, I think whoever wrote that not only understand public health like、um, vocabulary and knowledge, but also know how to cover their ass. So, in infectious disease, when we say limited human to human transmission, the limited here is it can transmit from patient zero to patient one, but it has not been confirmed that patient one has been trans passing on to patient two. So this is this is wordplay here, and and the purpose of that report is definitely not to inform people、um, what's happening, what was happening back then in Wuhan and the nearby city, and the、um, actual、uh, situation with the disease, but just to calm them down and to pacify them. Oh, don't worry, we have it all covered. The most egregious crackdown of information 
was that doctor that Shun Yao described before, who brought forth some of the first cases and was silenced. So what's happening is that eight doctors, medical doctors, um, relayed this message in various uh, WeChat group. And around this time, they have been notified by police that they are spreading unvalidated rumors. They have been giving a quite serious warning, you know, considering you're working in the public health system. And the public report describing this in early January is that a people, not revealing their occupation, not revealing what they said, were spreading rumors about Wuhan pneumonia. That was what they caught back then. Uh, on social media, and as a result, the local police authority are giving them warning. They have been put in custody and being educated about the hazard they are creating. On December 30th, this Wuhan doctor told a group of medical experts that there had been seven strange pneumonia cases in this Wuhan hospital. <clears throat> he said that these cases were linked to SARS. The next day, the police showed up at his house and made the doctor sign a statement that he would not disclose anything about the outbreak. Now, the police justified their actions that they were just cracking down on a, quote, rumor because the man had referred to the disease as SARS, which wasn't correct technically. But this was still before the disease was properly identified as the novel coronavirus. And the novel coronavirus is, in fact, in the same family as SARS. On the 28th of January, in a very unprecedented move, the Supreme Court of China released a statement on their social media page condemning the Wuhan police for their actions they took against these doctors. It wasn't an official ruling, just a statement. I think this case really sums up where the Chinese government is at. During this epidemic, the government is wanting to seem super transparent. And many people do see them that way. But they still have this impulse to crack down on all information. I would say I'm not surprised, but I'm deeply disappointed by people who can provide a very solid evidence and um, blow the whistle. They didn't do that. The local government didn't do that. The central government... Hell no, they're like, they did nothing. They probably blamed the local government for not reporting back properly. And that was the, the, the message um, circulating on social media is that oh, the central government was so innocent and naive and, and being clouded uh, from this information. How can you believe in that? Okay, so now we have sort of this overarching view of the disease. But here's the thing. All of the news, all of the government response, all of the talk of censorship, none of that is very representative of what it's like to live through this epidemic. There are people who are sick and there are people who are dying of this disease. Their experience must be awful and frightening. There are doctors and nurses and other medical professionals who have spent countless sleepless nights fighting this epidemic. They're so brave and they deserve a lot of credit and respect. But here's the thing, even as the number of cases rises, they are just 
a tiny, tiny part of the population. The vast majority of people living in China are not directly affected by the virus at all. Yet, our entire lives have been turned upside down in the paradoxical and kind of bizarro experience of living through this. Sitting at home, I knew that people all over the country were having similar experiences to mine. So I reached out to some friends, some acquaintances, and some very kind strangers to fill me in on what their experiences were like. You've heard from some of them already. I reached out of my quarantine bubble to get a peek into theirs. And I got 20 odd responses, and I wanna share them with you. So this is usually the most festive time of year. It's Chinese New Year. It's comparable to like America's Christmas time. During this time, the entire country is basically shut down so everybody can have this wonderful holiday break and go see their families. But my friend Maggie basically puts it best here. The whole coronavirus outbreak is kind of ruining the most important festival for like 1.4 billion people in China right now. All that stuff that people usually do during Chinese New Year has all been canceled. The celebrations at the temples were canceled, and my brother-in-law finally canceled their extended family meal, which was supposed to host seven tables of guests. So basically, everyone was watching the not-so-cheerful Spring Festival Gala. Some people can see sort of a silver lining of having nowhere to go, but mostly it's just really boring. Yashu and her boyfriend David are here together, but you just hear Yashu's voice here. Well, it's sort of nice in a way that like work is delayed and <laughs> we're allowed to work from home. Right. And maybe I can spend more time with my family, my grandparents, which I always wanted to do. This time of year is a time for travel. And a lot of people are traveling back to their hometowns. But because of the virus, a lot of people have opted out of doing that. They just stayed in their apartments in the big cities. Lily considered not going back to Suzhou from Shanghai. The fear was getting more intense day after day. I doubted if I could take the train home, saying even though it's only 30 minutes ride. Shanghai had more suspected patients. Uh, when my family picked me up, they wore masks. And I didn't go to a shopping mall to do some shopping, knowing that I should avoid the crowd. Besides going back home, a lot of people just take the opportunity of Chinese New Year to travel around. But the virus has really put a spanner in a lot of those plans. Here are my friends Hannah and Hunter who basically got kicked out of their hotel room in Yunnan. So yesterday we had um, our hotel in Nongji contact us and cancel our booking. We then went to speak with C-Trip and find out why and they basically said it's because of the coronavirus and they tried to contact a lot of different hotels in the area and none of them were picking up at that point. So we think maybe the whole of that region around Longji um, is shutting down. And then this morning after uh, we came down for breakfast, after we had breakfast, our hotel, the front desk told us that we needed to check out today. They explained to us that we needed to check out because they were doing road closures. Um, and so as we were packing up to leave, uh, they actually were constructing a blockade down the street from us that we actually had to skirt around to get out to uh, the main road to get up to the airport today. Uh, yeah, we could see other roadblocks happening as well. Um, they were turning cars away from certain areas. 
Um, we're now currently waiting in Guilin Airport, having changed our flights back uh, to Shanghai early. Um, so we'll see what happens when we get back to Shanghai. So there are a ton of these kinds of little inconveniences and disappointments. But because so many things are closed and so much is just quarantined off, people's lives are legitimately affected. This is Courtney. She's a singer, and she's basically out of a job. You know, I'm a musician, so there's no businesses that are open right now that can, can that will have a large gathering of people. So musicians are all out of work. Um, any Anything going on in the music industry is probably not happening at all in China. And on a real heartbreaking level, people's lives have been affected. This is Peng, who you heard earlier. My grandma, she's in emergency ward right now. She's um, diagnosed with late stage lung cancer a couple of um, months ago, and she's dying. A lot of doctors were really um, reluctant to let us in because, you know, there's so many trouble already and then we're all risky fa- factors we might introduce from our environment, the, the bacteria, the viruses into the hospital where it's pretty easy to um, to have this massive um, contraction, contamination, whatever. And my family actually had to pay, had to bribe doctors in order to let my grandma stay in the hospital. So in one way or another, this holiday has basically been ruined. People are cooped up inside of their house and they don't have much to do. So what are our lives like cooped up inside of our quarantine zones? Josh is just hanging out here in Shanghai. Right now I'm doing what I think probably the majority of people in Chinese cities are doing, which is staying at home, going out as little as possible, spending 60% of my time washing my hands. We've mostly just stayed a home with your family, right? David and Yashu are in Yashu's hometown in Hunan. Yeah, and we wanted to go for a hike the other day, and um, we also canceled the plan because uh, we heard someone in that area was infected. So basically, we just stay at home. On the rare occasion that I've gone out, the city is just completely dead. Some parts of public transportation are closed, and the place is a complete ghost town. So a big change for everybody is that if you do go out and you take public transportation or you go into anywhere public at all, you have to get your temperature taken. Alex is up weathering the cold up in Beijing. Whenever you go into the Beijing subway, uh, there is a little security security check just to make sure you're not a terrorist. That's usual. That's been going on for years and years and years and years and years. Um, now, not only that, you also have one of those men in the white bodysuits scanning your forehead with a gun. I got my temperature taken at the grocery store the other day. So here's what everyone's talking about. I don't think I've seen anyone exposed there mouth and nose in public for the past four days. Staying mostly indoors, following the precautions, so wearing masks if we go out. So 
So wearing a face mask is sort of officially advised by the Chinese government, but I think it's just more of a social necessity more than anything else. If you go outside and you see somebody without a face mask on, I just immediately get this feeling of like, what are they doing? How could they possibly endanger me and themselves by not wearing a face mask? That feeling is a little bit misplaced though, if you understand how these face masks work. The most common face masks that you see people wearing, these sort of surgical masks, don't actually protect you from any pathogens that would come into your mouth or nose. They're not really airtight, so they're not really protecting you from catching the virus. One thing that they are good at actually though is um, protecting others from your pathogen. So any coughing or sneezing that you might be doing isn't spreading out into the wide world. The only masks that actually have like a real good effect are these respirator masks, the, uh, the, the N95s. Those masks will filter out pathogens, but doctors also advise not to wear them for too long because you can't breathe very well in them. Whether those surgical masks are effective or not is kind of besides the point. Socially, I think it's a good sign that masks are so ubiquitous. Jack, who's up in Beijing, also sees this as comforting. It's nice to go out and see everyone's wearing a mask. It's not nice, but it's, um, it's reassuring. People not coming over and, and, and touching you or your children. People keeping a respectful distance. You know, people in stores making their way around one another. It's just, you know, it's sensible. It makes sense. For me, it's just kind of a sign that people are taking this shit seriously. And if you're wearing a mask, it means you're more broadly aware of the disease. And then you're probably taking other measures to prevent disease, like washing your hands often and just taking care not to touch too many things. A lot of the experience of the virus is just what you read about and hear and think about it. It's not not firsthand. Um, a huge part of it is just this psychological thing. Like every few hours, we've we've been checking a website to see the numbers of people in, infected and increase, etc. Yeah, and you see a lot of um, all kinds of posts on WeChat and other social media, and it's either like showing how severe the situation is or making fun of the situation. <laughs> There's right. a lot of funny posts, stickers, and right passing yeah. around. So since we've been inside, indoors, and not really going out very much, um, everybody's kind of indoors and on social media. And although I think social media has made awareness really great for the disease, social media also has a dark side. Weibo and WeChat are just awash with rumors and misinformation and conspiracy theories. Here's Kuang, who's out in Jiangxi. While the situation was developing, there was also a lot of harmful rumors, a lot of fake information on social media. This is a misuse of the internet, but it's unavoidable. And, and, and then you see, you know, in, in WeChat groups, which are mostly foreigners, just this wild speculation and people claiming medical knowledge they clearly don't have. And, oh, it's a lot worse than SARS and, oh, you know, the, the death rate is higher than they're saying, and, 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 and it just seems to come out of nowhere. Yeah, also nobody trusts what the government is saying. Absolutely nobody. They are convinced, and they've had so many 
previous experiences of this, of the government misleading them and withholding figures in order to avoid panic. You can make that argument. However, my gut feeling is that this time, I think the government is telling the truth. Because people don't really trust the media, trust the government narrative, because, you know, the government controls the media narrative so tightly, it leads to people wildly speculating about things because they feel they're not getting the right information. This has led to some really wild conspiracy theories. Here's a conspiracy theory that Maggie heard. But I've also heard, like, different opinions, such as the conspiracy theories, you know, based on the chances of this level of infection happening in one of China's biggest hub of transportation. Um, and especially when its volume is at the largest of the year, before, right before the Chinese New Year. It sounds, it just sounds very fishy, you know, the likelihood of this happening. Like it's some biochemical weapons, you know, from whichever countries. The likely guess is America. That's the most I've heard of so far. But, um, you know, I thought about this idea, but quickly got rid of it too. I think it's just one of the many, many, many fake news that kind of overwhelmed the bored Chinese people who can only stay home right now. So if you're listening to this as an American, maybe this makes you feel a little agitated or upset. I would just say go on Twitter and look at all of the ugly vitriol that people in the United States are spraying at China right now. The racist comments, the ridiculous conspiracy theories, and just the ugliness online. It goes both ways. <laughs> Evie, who we heard from earlier, though, sees a sort of benefit in some of the hyper, scary, not necessarily true misinformation that you see on social media. She uses it as a way to sort of stoke fear in her parents who aren't necessarily following all of the rules and don't think that the virus itself is very dangerous. And for my family, my parents were excited preparing a lot of food for the festival and didn't feel emergent situation. It's really hard to convince them not to go outside and not to buy things. I kept spreading bad news in my family group, just family group, not, you know, WeChat moments or something. And you, some are maybe not true, maybe just rumors. But for old Chinese people like my parents, I had to scare them not to talk to um, people and not to go outside. So look, there's a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of information that's taken out of contexts. And there are people that are believing things that are just patently false. Most of this stuff is just on the fringe. The people that I've talked to aren't particularly worried about all of that. They are worried about the legitimate unknowns. The unknowns that the government, the World Health Organization, the Center for Disease Control don't have good answers to. Like... How long does this virus incubate? How exactly does it pass from person to person? Who are the people that are dying and what is their medical history? These are the things that make most reasonable people really fearful and uneasy. The quintessential experience of this disease is just this contradictory feeling that all of us feel. Everyone's just kind of vacillating between severe anxiety 
and relief. Here's my lovely Elizabeth. Yesterday I was kind of panicking, but that was because the pollution was kind of making my throat itchy. And I thought for sure I was sick. And then I also kind of panicked yesterday when they said that it's a 14 day incubation period, which just seems like the most vicious cycle. But today I think I'm okay. I don't have an itchy throat anymore. And I've resigned myself to being a slob inside the house for the next two weeks. Mm. <laughs> I switched up my lunch today, had a different lunch. So <laughs> got a new lease on life. <laughs> The plague doesn't kill you, the boredom will. And it seems most people have been going back and forth. Like, I noticed this in my family, my relatives. Like, one day or one moment, they say uh, it's not a thing and people are taking it too seriously, being too scared. But the next moment, they're telling, like, my grandparents, <laughs> this is really severe. You need to put the mask on and <laughs> you can't go to other people's home to infect other people. So... This back and forth seems to be going on everywhere. And there's a lot of there's a lot of confusion over like what the best even what the best things to do to be safe in the situation are and a lot of confusion over how severe the situation is. Um, Like we were we've been arguing over whether it's effective to wear a face mask. Um, Like you read some posts that say that everyone should wear face masks and then you you read other things. that say like, oh no, the face mask doesn't doesn't really matter. But also there's this, I think for some people, maybe including me, there's this fear going around like um, also like outside, but also within the family. If you hear someone coughing, sneezing, and you just become more alert. Here's my friend Alejandro who's kind of having a tough time with this. I don't know what to do. I'm very, very split about this whole thing because there's just way too much news going around. Like I read so many articles on the daily. My friends are just posting like crazy. You see it on WeChat. And now that it's made its way into the U.S., it's like there's like all these headlines about the dangers of the virus. And it it's 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 really hard to kind of get a perspective like now that everything's so digital so available you just see everything happening in the moment and every day is just the numbers of the cases confirmed it just keeps growing and growing and growing so why is there this seesaw of emotions because at least for me when i read something that confirms my hopes i feel like completely relieved And then I'll go on to read something that confirms my worst fears. And then I feel this deep sense of dread. But not all of it is gloom and doom. The intense boredom has led to a lot of creativity and a lot of humor. There's been a lot of pretty fun internet humor coming out of this. Just yesterday, a friend of mine from Sichuan sent me a compilation of Chinese memes about the coronavirus. Let me open it up and read a couple. A lot of them focus on the degree to which everyone is going crazy. It was hilarious. There's memes of people like buying a pack of raisins and then counting them all and categorizing it. Like this person says, there are 849 raisins in this. Um, 75 of them are shriveled. 63 of them uh, have stems. Um, 611 of them are green. Uh, there are at least 58 brown ones. 
and uh, 181s of different miscellaneous colors. Seems the grapes I bought this time aren't that great after all. I don't know, it's just, it's so evocative to me to imagine someone being so bored that that's all that they can do. There's also a lot of pictures of people doing ridiculous things to isolate themselves. There's a picture that's going viral now of someone who's taken a large uh, water bottle, like one of those things you might put in a water cooler, right? And he's cut out the bottom and put it over his head as like a little containment chamber. And I guess the last one I'll share is one that uh, is a little bit troubling, but also just fascinating in terms of the context that it comes from. It's a picture of Carrie Lam, who's the chief executive of uh, Hong Kong right now. And it says, uh, the caption says, This chief executive has had a really hard tenure. Last year, she had to get people to take their face masks off. This year, she's got to get people to put them back on. So the other inherent contradiction in living through this epidemic is the deep sense of isolation versus the broadening sense of community that's happening from this virus. Something that came up for a lot of people is just deep existential loneliness. For many of us, we've already been stuck in our home for a week or two, and we're still looking at another week or two of isolation in our homes. I mean, our daily contact with people is really limited um, in, in any way, in any sense. So it's very hard for me to relate to people's real experiences. I just see the number and it's so reductionist. <clears throat> I don't know how to say it, but we're so really focused on our own world. We don't care about things happening on the outside. Of course, um, you could argue that it's really a problem because people, most people don't have the sense of being a citizen, but we're taught not to be a citizen. We are taught, we're educated, we're carefully selected through history to care for what we want, to, to mind our own business. I don't know how can I relate to these things. Of course, I still see the numbers going up and I really sympathize with the people in Wuhan, but what can I do? Seriously, what can I do? There are so many fake, um, you know, advertisements or groups forming, but I think they're just being anxious. Pang here feels this deep sense of nihilism, I think, because you are just living in your own experience. There is sort of an unrealness to this entire feeling. Then there's like the feeling of the total opposite of that. A greater sense of community is forming because of this virus. Even though people are isolated in their homes, there has been the sense that people are coming together and feel moved to action. Here's Xun Yao again. What is positive about this particular outbreak is that we, we just see so many, so many um, self-organized group who are doing the stress reliefs um, supply, transportation, donation collection to Wuhan region. I was so moved by that. 
Um, one of the groups are、um, particularly organizing the transportation for doctors and nurses working in the city center hospitals. So this group of people are doing delivery for them for free, and then they're so effective in organizing that. So they、um, they actually have someone who is very efficient in organizing, like、um, people who work in product management, who work in、um, coordination,、um, volunteers do so. They probably live in other cities, mostly in Shanghai and Beijing, and they just sit on their desk doing this job fifteen, twenty hours a day. There are people all across the country who are willing to use their time sitting at home to coordinate vast networks of people to help those in Wuhan. Shunyao and a group of folks in the U.S. banded together within days of the outbreak of the virus, and they sent medical supplies to doctors in Wuhan. I was telling you I was in Bay Area, and suddenly, a few groups are starting to do the fundraising and、uh, going to buy the gears for them, all the supplies for them. So this woman from Texas started a group. So we quickly ordered、um, gloves, masks, protective gears, directly from the manufacturing in U.S. And since you know most of us know how to do it effectively. They have been, you know, put on a plane and、uh, delivered to China. And around the time, that's three days into, you know, arranging all that, which is pretty efficient, very efficient. Well, let me just say that the efficiency of that, you can just say, they're doing a lot, of, a lot of job that government is supposed to do, and failing, and they're just doing that. And and all of a sudden, you're questioning the legitimacy of the government governing body. Like, why do we need them? Why do we pay their tax? There was also this sort of eerie but beautiful video of people in an apartment complex in Wuhan shouting out their windows. So they're all quarantined in their homes, but they're all shouting out their windows. Wuhan Jiao, which is just sort of like giving—it's like Wuhan. I'm giving encouragement to you. That's what that means. And the sense is that, like you know, they're coming together as a community to bolster each other's spirits and make people feel not so alone. So you may have noticed this is the first time on the podcast where I've had people who are not from China. The reason I asked some foreign friends to come on here and express their opinions is because I had a specific question that I wanted to ask them. Something that I'm questioning deeply myself: Are you going to stay here? This virus is one of these really polarizing things that makes us want to reevaluate our situation living here in China. So Alejandro. He's feeling really on the fence about whether to stay or to go. For me personally, like I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen, and this really just makes me feel very confused and just very split. I've been living in Shanghai for almost two years now. This this is my life, this is my reality, and suddenly with this new virus, I just feel like I need to let it all go. Like to get away, I need to evacuate the city, and it just creates like this inner turmoil in my head. Then there's Courtney, and she's decided to leave for the time being. 
So I I just personally hate being in a position where I can't leave and go as I want. You know, I didn't want to get into a situation where I would be stuck in China. And I have like my mom, my dad, my uncle, my aunt. My, I'm very close to my family. They live in America. Um, you know, they're 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 that's my heart. So for me, you know, I didn't want to worry them by being stuck in China. Say if. America, you know, bans all its flights. And just recently, British Airways canceled all of their flights. So it's just a matter of time until this is under control. And concern was just not being able to leave and getting stuck there, you know, during a state of emergency. And when this crisis dies down and, you know, blows over, it gets better. I will plan my way back to Shanghai. But until then, it's just not safe to stay somewhere where you can't escape. And then there's Jack. He has kids here. He has a life here. He's decided that for the time being, under present circumstances, he doesn't want to leave. I totally understand the instinct to head for the hills when something like this happens. You're um, you're cooped up indoors. You're receiving a lot of information that's speculative through through WeChat or, or over Twitter or through friends, through neighbors, through family, and you.、Um, You you think I've got to get out? I've got to get my family out of this.、Um, but my thinking is always: Would taking our kids to an airport, where you've got a lot of people who are trying to escape, possibly infected, possibly covering up their infection using、um, antifebrile medication、uh, to fool the scanners, to fool the tests,、uh, are you increasing your family's risk significantly? And yes, you are. Like any epidemiologist would tell you, the way to ensure that a pandemic spreads and goes global is to、um, encourage people to flee and、uh, clog up airports and train stations. And if I'm proven wrong, I'm proven wrong. I feel like that we're making the best decision for our family's safety right now. Circumstances change. You know, we're tuned into what the British government is saying. We're tuned into what the WHO is saying. If circumstances change, we will change with the circumstances. So what about me? I have friends who've been asking me if I'm going to leave, and、um, obviously my parents are really worried about me, and they want me to come home. So the big question that I've been asking myself, truthfully, is not should I stay or should I go. I, I want to stay. I want to stay in China. The big question I've been asking myself is why? Why do I want to stay here? Why is China worth the risk for me? I mean, sure, I've invested a lot in living in China. And there are a lot of things that I like about China. Obviously, there are a lot of things in China that are happening that are really interesting. But I don't really think that's the reason I want to stay. The thing that keeps me here is just sort of this feeling, and I think a lot of foreigners who have lived here for a long time have this feeling. It's a feeling that's hard to describe, but it's just this feeling like something important is happening here. An epidemic, the experience of living through this. Everything is just so strange and heightened. There's so much beauty and hope, and so much of that is contrasted so starkly by fear and woe. Everything is thrown into such sharp relief because everyone's paying such close attention. It's funny, even time feels like it's slowing down when you're living through this. Things have become so exaggerated in certain ways, and 
so clear in certain ways. Being able to see China in this way has made me realize, even though there's a bunch of stuff that I don't like about living here, I love China and I don't want to leave. And I guess I'm just willing to risk it. So I just want to end this pod with some reflections that other people have had. We're so stuck in our various quarantine bubbles and we're so isolated and we're all collectively experiencing this thing. So I'm just wondering how people are feeling about all of this. So, I mean, initially I did panic a little bit when I read about this epidemic and how fast the infection, the number of infection cases and death numbers are increasing. But I think right now I've managed to pull myself together and concentrate on my work and studies and just be very flexible because that the, there's not much I can do um, at individual level. And I have total faith that it will get better soon. It's just way too much going on. It's too overwhelming. There's just so many ways to look at this whole outbreak. It's just happening so fast. Uh, it's crazy to think. Just two weeks ago, I just came back to Shanghai and ready to start my new job, ready to start my new life. And then this new virus just comes out of nowhere and just completely just takes over my life, not just my life, but the whole city. And I feel very lost. I guess for now, it's just, it's like a waiting game. And the more I wait, this, the more concern I get about my well-being and the well-being of the people around me, the people in my community. I just really hope everything works out in the end, to be honest. But, you know, what are you going to do? Shit happens every day. I read the news today saying the suspected patient's number has exceeded the ones of the SARS. Um, I think many people can feel the feeling of helplessness recently. Um, it's quite sad that the same mistakes were made after 17 years because of some people's audacity and ignorance of the nature. I just feel, I just want to say I respect all the medical staff because um, 17 years ago, some people sacrificed their lives to, you know, to save others. And right now the same thing is going on. I just want to wish all the you know, the, the doctors and the nurses are safe. Stay tuned after the credits to hear a really incredible story. You've been listening to Strangers in China. Strangers in China is brought to you by the Seneca Network, powered by SubChina. This podcast was mastered by Kaiser Kuo. You can find us on Instagram at Strangers in China. You can hit us up on Twitter at Stranger in China. Our Facebook page is also Strangers in China. Don't forget to subscribe, download, rate, and review. 
I had research help this episode thanks to Shun Yao. Voiceover work was done by my lovely Elizabeth. Translation was done by Josh. So Josh is actually the host of an amazing podcast called Mandarin Slang Guide. He was the one you heard this episode talking about Chinese memes. If you need a podcast that helps you actually learn the Chinese you need to know, then you'll love MSG, Mandarin Slang Guide. Josh is a brilliant and enthusiastic host. And he's definitely a stranger in China. You can get Mandarin Slang Guide anywhere you get your podcasts. Strangers in China's theme song is Analytical Skeletons by Caesus. Other music in this episode was by Purple Cat, Jack Major, Terry Skills, Artist Unknown 2, Caesus, Lofi, and JMC. Now for our bonus. So as the plague hit, most of us quarantined ourselves in our apartments. But not Mads and his friend Matthias. Mads and Matthias are musicians, and they're doing a project that focuses on music and cultural interaction in cooperation with the Danish Academy of Music and the Chinese Central Conservatory of Music. Their focus was on Chinese ethnic minorities in Western China, in Sichuan, Gansu, and Ningxia. On January 18th, they set out on their journey. They rented a car in Sichuan and drove all throughout rural Western China, right as the disease began to spread. My name is Mads Vester Nielsen. I, uh, I'm from Denmark and uh, I live in Beijing. Right now, I'm on my way to Yinchuan from uh, Lanzhou uh, after taking a, a road trip from Chengdu and going up north. Um, originally, I planned together with a couple of friends that we were going out to uh, record folk music of, um, uh, of Tibetans and the Hui and um, the Mongolian minorities. But while we were up in the Tibetan highlands, um, the virus uh, set in and um, we were forced to more or less make a dash towards Beijing. Um, we went to a Tibetan village and we, um, we stayed with some of the locals and we played uh, together with them. And um, when we were on our way to the border between Sichuan and Gansu, um, more specifically the town of Langmusi, um, we were ordered to go directly to the local police station to get registered. And um, when we got to the police station, um, they were more or less uh, horrified to see us there. Um, I guess maybe we were some of the first uh, wearing masks that got to that uh, uh, part of, uh, of Gansu. So we went to a little uh, coffee shop that's in the center of the city. And uh, all of a sudden, my friend gets a call on her, uh, on her phone. And um, it's the local hospital that tells us to stay where we are, not move at all. And they'll come over and, uh, and uh, check our temperature. So after our coffee comes in um, by some very nice Hui family uh, that lives there in the middle of, um, of Langmusi that actually I'd say they were very unaffected by the whole situation and thought that the place where they were, they thought isolated as it is, the virus would not reach there. But right after that, in comes three um, medical staff um, with all the gear on to take our temperatures um, and we were fine. 
Um, at that point, pretty much all hotels in the area had been shut down. So um, we uh, we decided instead of going to uh, back to the Tibetan areas, we wanted to continue north in Lanzhou direction um, to as big a city in the area called uh, Luqiu. When we came to Luqiu, and as we approached the city, there was a checkpoint that was set up. And here um, we uh, got our temperature taken with um, um, with the thermometer guns or what do you want to call it. We had to go in and a tent, so a little improvised station that was set up by the police and the medical staff of Luqiu. A bug in our um, car rental app uh, locked our car and um, we had to stay there together with the medical staff for about an hour and a half. They were very nice to us. Um, we um, we got some tea from them. Um, we talked to them a little bit. Um, I was talking to them about, um, you know, how long had they been working? Um, did they have enough masks or what was the process they were going through with when passengers uh, came in to get checks? And basically, they had been ordered to set up the checkpoint at all entrances to the city. Um, and what happened with the car is in the end, we had to uh, to break the window <laughs> into the car. That was actually the, um, the, the, the people from the car rental company that uh, told us to do that. So the police, they helped us uh, break into uh, to our own car. So we were able, <clears throat> again, with the help of the police to contact one of the hotels um, so they could host us. Without the help of them, I think uh, we would not have been able to find a place to stay that night. Um, we had bought uh, some uh, N95 masks in Chengdu. So what masks we had left, we gave to them. Many of them, they didn't have uh, really the proper masks. Um, and so they asked specifically for these masks, which we were able to give to uh, two or three people. On January 28th, they finally made it back to Beijing safely. You can see photos of their journey on the Strangers in China Twitter feed. Yeah. 